Hey now, everybody now. Hey now, everybody. Hey now, everybody now. Giants Confirmed is back. I'm Trevor Ickrath. Everything is catching. Yes, everything is catching on fire. Yes, it's catching on fire and it's catching on fire. My name is Matt Ribeiro. Welcome to Giants Confirmed. Matt, I am so glad to be back with you to talk about our favorite Johns. Our favorite two Johns. The only two Johns that matter. There are no two other Johns. No pairs of Johns. This feels like a bit of a big episode too because we're kind of coming to the end of like the first phase of They Might Be Giants. It feels like this is the last record. The record we're going to be talking about today, Apollo 18. Is the last record they recorded as just like the core duo of Johns. Yeah, they were when they were doing this album live is when they started getting a backing band, and then that backing band was present on their next album. And I think uh, what we're going to do after this to kind of mirror that shift is start inviting guests into the program. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. But for now, it's still going to be you and me doing this mano a mano. Let's get into talking about this fourth studio album, uh, Apollo 18. This is the album where John and John were like, fuck you, our record has 38 tracks. Yeah, we'll probably talk at length about the whole like fingertips medley. Oh yeah. But that kind of plays in a, a larger thing I wanted to talk about. This album has always been a little bit of a challenge for me to get into because fingertips uh, kind of casts a shadow over the whole thing and like almost dominates the way you're supposed to interact with it in a way. Because yeah, it wasn't until preparing for this show uh, that like I really kind of sat down with this thing and learned that you're kind of supposed to listen to it on shuffle. It shows too. Yeah, it does show. Although I do think the track listing, the sequence is is pretty strong. Yeah. They're usually pretty good at that and they don't fumble the ball here, but it does feel like less of a like traditional narrative when it comes to like the track list. Yeah, for sure. And I think while Space Suit is a perfectly serviceable instrumental, it's still the weakest of their four closing tracks so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... That always kind of led me to be more reluctant to dive into Apollo 18 and stick more with the first three albums that we've already talked about. But yeah. preparing for the show, I really have come to appreciate this album as its own kind of thing. It's very different from those first three records, though. Yeah, it is also the most common They Might Be Giants tattoo idea. Oh, yeah. Is the cover of this album. I mean, it's it's maybe my favorite album cover of the bands. I like. Yeah. I really like uh, Lincoln, and there are some coming down the road that I really like as well, but this one is... So iconic. And I read that it was designed by uh, John Flansburg under uh, the pseudonym Rolf Conant. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's his, that's his graphic designer pseudonym he always uses for his TMBG stuff. And it was while they were uh, researching stuff for the cover graphic in the um, archives of NASA that they were actually approached by NASA. And um, NASA requested that they be the uh, ambassadors for International Space Year, which was 1992, the same year this album came out. That's pretty cool. That's wild. Yeah, that's really neat to think of. Like, And I can totally hear a lot of this music playing in like, spaceships i know like i've heard of sending music out into space hoping that it reaches aliens and getting our culture to them yeah i I would totally be like into some aliens finding apollo 18 and thinking that this is what all earth music was like yeah that's that 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 was the stated mission of apollo 18 is just to blast this album into space (laughs) (laughs) right I, I I kind of wanted to look up to see what the actual Apollo 18 mission was going to be, because I know it was canceled after, yeah. like, uh, Apollo whatever one exploded. Was that 13? Yeah. Um, but I, I couldn't find too much about it, or at least, like, nothing that really registered with me. <laughs> All I know is that they made they made the found footage horror movie, Apollo 18, and uh, my friends on Co No Space podcast, Fear Baiting, covered that episode, and I just asked them a bunch of questions about the They Might Be Giants album, and they were very mad at me. I assume it doesn't get played in the film. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Real missed opportunity, though. Yeah, come on. At least play Spacesuit at some point. A lot of the promotional material was, like, really space-focused, too. Like, um, I think that I saw a flyer that said, One Small Step for Man, One They Might Be Giant Leap for Mankind. That's very good. <laughs> Did you watch the promotional video for this album? It wasn't quite as good as the promotional video for Flood, but it was pretty funny. I actually didn't. Uh, my favorite part is that when uh, discussing how much of it is about space, uh, the, the narrator says, like, um, in addition to space, it covers a breadth of other topics. Nature, human relations, personal ambitions... And an old They Might Be Giants favorite, Death. Naturally. There is a lot of death on this album. I think uh, I read that music critics when it came out were like pretty on board with it. And they like commended the band for making music with a darker tone. Although I would argue that like... They always have. <laughs> they, the first three They Might Be Giants albums are incredibly dark. Although this one does have some like different kind of darkness going on that I assume we'll talk about. But I mean like literally the name of the first track... It's like, yeah, we're really in it now. <laughs> totally. Do you wanna do you wanna get into the tracks or do we wanna say anything more let's about Let's get the fuck into it? Let's let's do it. We have quite a few to get through. Uh 
I don't know if we're going to talk about fingertips. We, it'll probably behoove us to talk about that all as one medley. But yeah, you know, before we get to the very end, let's start with track number one, Dig My Grave. This is cool and like a different kind of opener for the Johns, it feels like. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, apparently the first time a Flansburg track was used as an album opener, which is really cool. It feels like Flansburg is kind of almost taking on like a more prominent role in the songwriting for this album. He's Yeah, he is all over this album. I feel like the last couple albums really relied on these like uh, Linnell penned kind of like classics and tent poles of the catalog. And those are doing, it feels like they're doing less of the work here, although those do show up. And this is like one of the two tracks that prominently features a graveyard. Yeah, that's true. One of my favorite parts of this song, though, is that like opening kind of guitar riff in the beginning that doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the song. It kind of turns into something else after that, but that almost feels like an opening theme for the album. And it, there's like some kind of like weird, almost like militaristic vibe to it. I yeah. get the feeling that it's like supposed to be some kind of like a theme song for like a ragtag NASA unit that operates out of like somebody's backyard or something. I feel like I'm like supposed to be saluting to it while we launch something into space or something. Oh yeah, I definitely get that. I also just like that this track mentions St. Peter when like the closing track of Flood also does. Oh, that's true. I didn't even make that connection. Just a, just a nice transition right over into it. That's a great lyric though. And one of my favorite on the album, every time I look in your eyes, I see St. Peter wave. Yep. It's like a song about being around somebody who makes you want to die. That's very good. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's a sneaky way to put it. <laughs> and, li- and like I said, you don't really get to hear the Johns rock out like this too much, although they do do it a couple times on this album. Yeah. I don't really have a ton to say about Dig My Grave, though. No, no, we can move on. Cool. Let's talk about I Palindrome I. Someday mother will die and I'll get the money. Mom leans down and says my sentiments exactly. You son of a bitch, I This is like, I feel like one of the big Linnell classics on this record, oh, although yeah. it kind of gets overlooked when you compare it to like Anna Ng and Birdhouse and stuff. But I think this one belongs right along with them. And it's really cool. It's probably my favorite track on the album. They put it on all their compilations for a reason. Definitely. It's always reminded me like the lyrics are so kind of like, they feel like a little obtuse, but I've always gotten the vibe that this song is supposed to be like some kind of family-based like psychodrama like running with scissors or something i really like uh the the sung palindromes in the song like the palindrome sentence is fucking great (laughs) you mean the bridge like the really long extended one yeah 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 what does he say i have it written down in my notes son i am able she said though you scare me watch said i beloved i said watch me scare you though said she able am i son son i am able she said though you scare me watch said i that's so good and Linnell's delivery of it is really powerful he really climbs during that part oh yeah other palindromes in the song uh, include the classic egad a bass tone and notes of bad age yeah. which like Sounds like something They Might Be Giants would come up with themselves. That's a very They Might Be Giants phrase. Just because it has Egad in it. And uh, Flan sings Mano Nam in the background. I always thought he was singing Mano Man, though, which would be a different kind of palindrome. It works, though. I watched uh, them performing this on, I think, David Letterman, though, and you can kind of clearly see that he's singing Mano Nam. Really good performance, that one, too. Definitely worth checking out. They're very evocative singers, both of them, so. Yeah. <laughs> you could always really see what they're saying. During those, like, early live performances, uh, Linnell always eyes the camera in a really really like almost uncomfortable way that's kind of hard to look back at it's really intense 
eyebrow wiggling right at you. I also really like the references to uh, like the concept of Ouroboros in this song with I am a snakehead eating the head on the opposite side. That's like rad. That's a really good way to put Ouroboros too. Yeah, Flan's backing vocals are great too. Snakehead. <laughs> I like uh, that. A lot of the interpretations of the song on the good old This Might Be a Wiki Interpretations tab uh, bring it as like a metaphor for human greed and hunger for money and power i could see that and given i just recorded a podcast episode about kanye west's my beautiful dark twisted fantasy this morning that's uh <laughs> it's the theme of my day apparently this is the second podcast you're recording today like congrats on like really powering through a double header <laughs> a double header that both required me to, to listen to an album I'm, I'm hoping like your wires don't get crossed at some point and you start talking about like uh the interlude on apollo 18 where chris rock starts talking about how john linnell reupholstered his pussy <laughs> <laughs> well now we have to make that now that has to be made it's a really good one though definitely a classic well deservedly put on a lot of best ofs and stuff yeah it's a really good one live too speaking of ones that are really good live she's actual size words fail buildings tumble the ground opens wide light beams down from heaven she stands before my eyes she's actual size but she seems much bigger to me squares may look distant in a rear view mirror but their actual size as she drives away i don't really i'm not a big fan of the studio version of this song and i read that like uh flansburg isn't either like he says that you can tell listening to it that they just finished it and there's not a lot of confidence in it but like I looked up some of the live versions of this song, including the one on, I think like the spine hits the road. The version on the spine hits the road is really fucking good. Like he's on fire during it. And there's also uh, a couple live versions on YouTube. Uh, and I think one on the dial a song, 20 years of they might be giants compilation where they work like a dial a drum solo skit into the middle and they really draw it out. Have you seen that? I haven't. It's really funny. They like, they draw out the drum solo in the middle and uh, Flansburg keeps going like, if you want to hear a drum solo in the style of Animal from the Muppets, press or say one. And then like the drummer does like a drum solo like that. Well, that sounds good. It's, re- it's real. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> John Flansburg talking about this song. This song is about scale and sexuality <laughs> and uh, relationships. <laughs> Great. A lot of uh, a lot of reference. It's, it's just a reference to the thing that's written on mirrors. <laughs> yeah, they said that they saw that while touring a lot. I mean, yeah, I guess looking out the windows, you're going to see a lot of your own mirror. I do wish the studio version of this was a little better, though. I'm, I'm grateful we have some solid recordings of the live performance. Yeah, it's good that They Might Be Giants have like eight live albums, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. We'll get there. Let's get to Evil Twin, though. I like this song a lot. I did not know that this was ever used as part of the Adam Carolla show, but apparently it was. I've never seen an episode. That's probably good. I don't know if you know this about me, Matt, but I am a big fan of like the concept of the shadow doppelganger. Okay. And it feels like that is what this song is about. Really interesting lyrics about kind of like looking at two sides of the same person by Flansburg. I think this is one of like his strongest, like more straightforward pop songs for the band so far. No, oh, yeah, it's a really good one. And one of the one one of the longer tracks at two minutes and thirty seven seconds. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But my favorite thing about it is how kind of like the lines between the narrator and his evil twin kind of gradually blur as the song goes on. Like, I mean, any thematic use of an evil twin should be like that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like if you're not if you're not like looking at the interpolation between the quote-unquote good twin and the evil twin then what's the fucking point of an evil twin narrative my favorite lyric and like the key lyric i think is uh i have grown so grateful for the blame you saved me from (laughs) that just really makes me think that like this isn't a song about an evil twin at all this is about like disassociating from your own behavior yeah that you don't want to kind of take responsibility for which is super interesting it really reminds me of uh the nega scott in scott pilgrim absolutely yep totally (laughs) because like that was just his externalization of his own like guilt 
about the things, shitty things he's done in the past. Yep. And the only way he was able to gain absolution from that is by re-merging with him. I saw, I I read and saw Scott Pilgrim at like a very impressionable time in my life. And honestly, that's oh, yeah. that's how I deal with my own problems. Yeah, no. Like there is absolutely a Nega Trevor out there. And like, yeah, the, the movie didn't really use Nega Scott in the, in like the really impactful way that the, the graphic novels did, but. No, it was, it was great in the comics though. I do like the gag of the Nega Scott in the movie though. It's just like, yeah, we just went and saw a movie. We're going to go get brunch. He's a great guy, really. It's, it's it's almost like a lampshade of like the intending reading of it, of that, which is really good. Um, back to this song, though. The arrangements are really cool. I, I wonder if that's a real harpsichord or if it's like a MIDI harpsichord or if it's like John Flansburg's guitar treated to sound like a harpsichord. I feel like it could be anything. They did use a lot of MIDI on this album, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was a MIDI. There's a quote from John Linnell where he's talking about how they kind of wrote this song as a team. Linnell recorded all the music as MIDI. And he gave it to John Flansburg, who wrote the melody and lyrics over top of it. So it wouldn't be surprised me if that is like MIDI from Linnell's actual recording. This one's not played live very often, which is sad. Yeah, I could see this one really going off live. I'd, I'd be here for it. They pretty much only bust it out when they're doing Apollo 18 shows. Do they? I didn't know Apollo 18 shows were a thing. Yeah, they've done them a couple of times, but like not as much as the other like three classic album shows would happen. Right, right. Do you want to get on to Mammal? This is an interesting one. Glass of milk standing in between extinction in the cold and explosive radiating growth. So the warm blood flows through the large four-chambered heart. This is an interesting one. It kind of feels like I would like this song more on an album that was like just doing songs like this, which they would like go on to do. Yeah, like this this sounds like it would have been one of the tracks they redid for Here Comes Science, but it wasn't. It would fit really well on that one. It's it's a song about mammals when everything is from an encyclopedia, more or less. Yeah. It almost just seems like a set list filler. A little bit. It does feel kind of thematically appropriate here because, you know, you got like space and science and nature. It, I feel like it kind of fits. What is man if not a monkey without a tail? There's not really much to say about it lyrically, but like... Musically, it does kind of slap. Yeah, and the, and the lyrics are kind of fun, too. Their names are called. They raise a paw. I like the idea of going through, like, a roll call of mammals, which he does there in the chorus. Yeah. But, yeah, not not too much to dig into other than actual facts about mammals. You might as well just read an encyclopedia. Placental, the sister of her brother Marsupial, their cousin called Monotream, dead Uncle Alatheria. Really just getting into the branches of the tree. It's like Animaniacs territory. Yeah. Yeah, which was, oh, I always enjoyed those parts of the show. Why wasn't the song called Monotream, though? Monotreams are fucking cool. It'd be a good name for a song, too. It would be. The next one, though, is like a big highlight for me. Uh, The Statue Got Me High. The Statue Got Me Happy 420. Yeah, we're recording this on 420, and fortunately, we have a statue to get us high. This is a really good one. It took me forever to realize what it was about. I think it's about kind of like having your mind blown by like a really powerful work of art. Yeah, no, it works like that. I like how they, they say that they accidentally wrote it about the life of Don Giovanni, because this is like they ended up with a lot of parallels. I don't know anything about Don Giovanni. It's an opera by Mozart, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll try and take in a viewing after the show to see what I missed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, we we got to absorb as much culture as possible so we can be the, the cultured patricians taking in this They Might Be Giants album. This really does feel like another in the line of like Linnell classics, like some of the other big songs we've talked about. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like having a song about like really nerding out over a piece of art to the point where you feel like you're high or like going to spontaneously combust is a very they might be giants thing yeah like that fits in very well with like the rest of the stuff that they kind of embody for me this is another one that i have apparently never seen live which is very sad the live horns would like rip on this one i think right like i've seen them with i mean they tour with horns now which is good mm-hmm. but um it's just uh it seems like the perfect song for it also just this song has just so many good melodies to it Yep. The stone it calls to you. The way he kind of sings songs that line, which I 
absolutely just failed to do. I really like my coat contained a furnace where there used to be a guy. Yeah, the the guy there, is, it, it just seems like <laughs> such an understated line. It's really good. Uh, the video for this one is really cool too. Directed by Adam Bernstein, who would like go on to direct a bunch of television shows like Pete and Pete, Entourage, Scrubs, 30 Rock, for which he'd win an Emmy, uh, Breaking Bad, and Orange is the New Black. Yeah, and he like, just even just they might be giants and pete and pete seem like they share a lot of sensibilities totally uh i know it was shot at los angeles's supelveda dam which was like an homage to a bunch of sci-fi movies that were shot there as well nice it's got a lot of cool sci-fi imagery like astronauts riding skateboards and playing saxophones it's almost like this album's space themed something like that it's something like that the music videos for the first four they might be giants albums really feel like of like a piece mm-hmm well, I mean, that was when they were in the videos more often because <laughs> they kind of stopped doing that. Whenever I look them up on YouTube, they always have like uh, title cards that make me feel like I'm watching like rips of like a DVD of their early music videos. Yeah. And like they fit so well together. I could see just putting on a DVD and going through them one after another. I feel like they must have put one out at some point. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, I assume that's what I'm watching. Yeah. I know they I know they've put out some of their more recent music videos on on some uh, on some DVDs, but I'd love to own this one. I can't think of a recent music video by the band that I've seen, but I'm looking forward to talking about them eventually. Yeah, they they well, they mostly farm them out at this point. They they're never in them anymore. Uh-huh. They actually had a music video contest for uh, for a jo- for a song on Join Us, which was really cool. What was like? Uh, what did the winner end up being like? Uh, the winner was like, um, it was it was for Can't Keep Johnny Down. Okay. Which is just like an absolutely blisteringly good opening song. And it was like a, a guy basically just running amok and causing a scene. And then the video has it played backwards. Great. <laughs> and that's just, a, it's a good aesthetic. I liked it. Let's talk about this next song because it's an interesting one. Spider. Spider. He is our hero. Spider. Get rid of. Spider. Step on Spider. Spider. We love you, Spider. What is the fucking deal with Spider? I don't know. And you know what? I think it was one of the first They Might Be Giant songs I ever heard. Because, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it made its way on to, like, the Beginner's Guide or User's Guide or whatever. It's on User's Guide. I don't understand why it's on User's Guide. They must really like it. And it's super short, so they're like, why not just put it on? Yeah. I do distinctly remember the person who gave me the User's Guide, though, being really into this song. They were like, you got to check out Spider. There's, it's like they go like, googly, googly, goo. It's like really funny. It's a lot of weird voices. They're putting on, they're putting on like accents for every other line. I think most of it is Linnell, right? Like, I think yes. Flansburg only has like one or two lines. There's a lot of like wacky Linnell stuff going on though yeah we love you spider only the must stop is flansburg it almost reminds me of like um i don't know if you've ever seen it the mighty boosh a little bit mostly just old greg they do a lot of similar like yeah they do a lot of weird voices and stuff like that would pop up on this song yeah that tracks this is this is the one track that is shorter than a single part of fingertips (laughs) like if i were listening to this on shuffle as it was intended i would probably assume that was part of the fingertips medley yeah but no Flansburg said that like um or yeah Flansburg said that Spider was the product of an idle afternoon messing with a sampler. Linnell did the voices except for Must Stop, like you said. That absolutely tracks. Yeah, and Flans added the cocktail, bongos, horns, and sound effects. And then they decided to put it on their fucking album instead of just keeping it to themselves. And some of their greatest hits compilations too. Why? I mean, it's got its charms. This is one of the two tracks I remember when I when I would think that I didn't like Apollo 18 at all. It wouldn't make the final cut of the album if I were kind of no. overseeing it. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah, well, that's that's the end of the show. Now we got to get into a different one. We got to keep talking about these tracks like uh, the guitar.
Another really weird, kind of interesting one for the band. It doesn't really sound like anything else they've ever done. It doesn't help that it also does feature other vocals. Which, yeah. Uh, by, provided by Laura Cantrell, although they were originally looking to get uh, Margaret Seiler, who did uh, Boat of Car. I read that and I was really bummed out they couldn't get her back. I feel like I would like the song a lot more if I knew it was the Boat of Car singer. Yeah. I mean, Laura Cantrell does a very good job. Yeah. And it's still a pretty decent track, but it's... It, I, I know it was a single and it has a music video, but it doesn't really get to the same, it doesn't reach the same heights that, that the other They Might Be Giants early singles get to for me. Yeah, this this track works very, very well as a live song. It feels like a live improvisatory jam that somehow managed to make its way onto the record. Yeah, like there's, a, there, it, when they play it live, it's like twice the length. They do a lot of jamming. And when they, of course, they have to have the horns with them if they're doing it. Yeah, there's some pretty crazy horns on this song. Which, yeah, they it's good when they have a horn section with them, but the the one guy that they have doing horns now does it pretty serviceably by himself, too. I do really like the fact that they're playing horns in the music video when they weren't the ones who played the horns on the track. Yeah. <laughs> Linnell's playing the bass, which he does not play. And, of course, the song, uh, the theme from this song is borrowed from the Tokens hit, uh, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, even though they don't like... Even though those words don't actually appear in the song, they made them stick it in a parenthetical, which is kind of kind of cheap. Yeah, well, I guess like they, there's less. It, it's it's like just a it's an interpolation. Like that's yeah. You, you could put it in the writing credits. But it doesn't need to be in the title. I would be down with seeing the Johns do an actual like straight take on the line sleeps tonight, complete with like the Wee Wop vocals. In fact, listening to this song, I couldn't help but think like, what if they were cast as Timon and Pumbaa in that? Uh, CGI Fuck. Lion King movie coming out soon. That'd be pretty I mean, good, right? It's gonna be it's gonna be Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen. So yeah, that's. But get the Johns in there. God, they would be really good. Like they they have a very Timon and Pumbaa energy to them. I don't I don't know if they can do as gruff a voice as that though. No, but I mean I'd I'd, I'd enjoy seeing a more nasally take on those characters. <laughs> yeah. During live performances, the bridge is replaced with a solo by either Marty Beller, Danny Weinkoff, or Dan Miller. It's usually all of them when I've seen them. They really stretch it out. Well, because like just like that bass group, that like you could do that for an hour. There's a lot of opportunities for like extended vamps. Yeah, it's the song seems almost built for having a live backing band, which is why it has been performed 846 times. Jesus. Which I think might be the highest on the album. That's that almost feels excessive. I mean, they've been performing it since 1992. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I'm sure there's some missing ones in there, but like there are a lot of recent ones. If I were in a band that previously existed of only two people, and I knew that I was adding a rhythm section soon, this is one of the ones that I would be like excited to really kind of experiment with on stage. I mean, someone finally answered the rhythm section one ad. Yeah, it's it's weird how all of the things that they mentioned in those songs like kind of came true over the years like they added like female singers and like the wall of horns it's yeah very prescient you want to keep going through the tracks though talk about dinner bell i've been leaving on my things so in the morning when the morning bird sings there's still dinner on my dinner jacket till the dinner bell rings expand Dinner Bell for a while was my favorite track on the album. Really? It's never been one of, uh, it's never been a big highlight for me, but I really can appreciate what uh, Linnell is doing here. There are a lot of, his voice is on this song a lot. Yeah, he harmonizes with himself so well. Yeah, there's a real army of it's him. A, it's a very good, like, barbershop kind of thing that he's doing. What about the song made it one of your favorites? I'm not sure. I I, I think, like, references to Pavlov's dog were big, like, they, they tickled me when I was a young teen, like just starting to get into more music that wasn't from a video game. Sure. And then I just really like the way that the uh, the verses kind of propel themselves on his vocals and also just like the really, really consistent rhythm. I really like the climax that this one builds to when he's going like dinner bell, dinner bell, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah. And then pulls out the accordion mm -hmm. going fucking hog wild on it. Yes, he really does go hard on the accordion at the end here. He kind of saves it for that climax at the end. Another one that they do not play live very often, which is a shame because I'd love to hear it. I could see it not quite working as well live as it does in the studio, though. Yeah. Particularly because I, I bet it'd be hard to do those really cool backwards vocals, which like always make me think of Twin Peaks, of course. That is just Twin Peaks. <laughs> did, did he like do that thing where he learned how to sing it like 
backwards and then they reversed it so it's like going forwards or whatever. Yeah, and then they and then they reversed it on tape, which is like the exact process of uh, the Twin Peaks Black Lodge vocals. Yep, I think Radiohead do that on one of their albums too. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah. Um, and yeah, of course he wouldn't be able to do his own multi-tracking live. He would have to have other people sing his parts. Yeah. Although I, I would, I would, I think it'd be cool to see Flansburg joining in for, uh, for a live performance of this song. I'm sure they could do it. Yeah. And then, like, I don't know, lyrically, I don't know if I have that much to say about it other than the Pavlov's dog references. No, it feels like the lyrics are kind of in service of like this vocal experiment. You know, like that's the real kind of thrust of this song. Yeah. Him like fucking around with tons of different tracks of his own vocals i don't know whether i'd rather be having a bottle of vinegar i don't know whether i'd be rather be having an egg i don't know whether i'd rather be having an order of bacon or whether i'd rather be having a basket of garlic bread those are probably my favorite like melodies in this song the way he just kind of wraps those around themselves are really cool it's really good it's hard to do along which is why i like slipped up like three times doing that despite the fact that i was reading it you made it through pretty well <laughs> i do like that the it's it's listed as sung by john linnell millions of him yeah that i noticed that too in browsing the wiki that i i always like when there are those little embellishments like that it's a very cute wiki next we've got another uh flans song though narrow your eyes i don't want to change your mind i don't want to think about your mind they say love is blind i don't think you're blind you don't want to understand i don't want to shake your father's hand and walk in the sand like a man, I get on the bus, ride past, I stop, and though I'm late, I can't get off, I just can't bear to tell you some lies, narrow your eyes, narrow your eyes. This is another kind of like classic, they might be giants song about a relationship falling apart. Yeah, they... They gotta have one per album, apparently. That's what it seems like, yeah. This one's pretty cool, though. It does feel like it's... It feels a little plain for a They Might Be Giants song. Is that just me? Um, no, I think it is kind of plain, but I think it's also still just really well done. It works for it, but yeah. I can see that. I feel like as they went on, like, every now and then, like, um, like the albums would kind of feature, like, more straightforward, like, almost like power pop numbers, where there isn't a lot of They Might Be Giants personality, but they're still, like, serviceable songs. Yeah. And this is, like, kind of the first one you get that vibe from. Yeah, they are good. They're good songwriters. They just like to get weird with it. And, you know, sometimes, honestly, it's a little refreshing to get, like, a They Might Be Giants song where there aren't a lot of weird, wacky stuff going on. Yeah, like, the lyrics on this one are pretty straightforward. Yeah. Ride past our stop, and though I'm late, I can't get off. <laughs> I can't bear to tell you some lies. Classic being stuck in a relationship that you're not sure about anymore and not wanting to say the words when you don't feel them. Yeah, I've always seen, like, um, They'll Need a Crane. Like, that's a song that feels like a it's about, like, a really established relationship being destroyed. Yeah. Whereas this one feels like it's more about being unable to commit yourself to a relationship before it even gets to the point of being like super serious. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it gets in, it's not implied that they live together. Yeah, I don't want to shake your father's hand and walk in the sand and act like a man. I don't want to kind of, you know, rise to that kind of part of the relationship. It's, it's like it's not working. Cut it off early. I don't want to lie about it. It's it's a solid one, if, if a little like plain for the band. Mm-hmm. This next one, though, I feel like more than makes up for anything this one might be lacking in weirdness. <laughs> Hall of Heads. This song is like a nightmare fever dream. Yeah, this song is about the 1999 animated sitcom Futurama. Pretty much, yeah. That's the kind of vibe I get from it. <laughs> Except instead of like preserved heads, I think a lot of them are just like straight up just dead, lifeless heads. Yeah. The vibe I get from it almost is like, um, it's like a Disney song, like Be Our Guest or something. Mm -hmm. Except it's the subject matter is really horrifying and whoever's singing it doesn't really seem to grasp that. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I like how excited they sound when they say, like, roll out that special head. This is our favorite one. And then they immediately go into, please don't try to leave. Don't leave the Hall of Heads. Like, yeah, that's that's very good. I like that the interpretations. One of them is just like, can it be about a piggy bank? <laughs> I don't see how, dude. There's presidents on there. Those got heads. Oh, I guess. Yeah. I think people really throw things at the wall with these ones. Mm-hmm. To see what's. It's like it's like yeah. It's like maybe it is, but then to what end? <laughs> it's like you, you got to yes and that one and see if it actually leads anywhere. I think the musical intro for this one is super interesting too, because it doesn't feel like it has a whole lot to do with the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you need a minute to prepare for what you're gonna get in the Hall of Heads. I like uh, I like this one. Interpretation number ten on the interpretations page. Uh, the strongest impression that I've got from the song. Uh, is that the Hall of Heads is a metaphor for the world in terms of society. Disembodied human heads, meant to be horrific sight, represent the sort of horrors and other unpleasant things humanity has created for itself. <laughs> and that, like, just, like, has to deal with. <laughs> like, uh, basically, like, the horrors of, like, the basic reality, which, if you try to think about, you know, society for even a moment, kind of bubble up to the surface. That guy kind of feels like he got it. Yeah, no, I I really get that. I really, really vibe with that. Yeah. Because, like, the unending horror of thinking about the world for even more than one second is, like, the background radiation of my life. Totally. Yeah, there's always that <laughs> vague miasma that sometimes you just kind of have to try and put out of your mind. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, I live in relative comfort for, you know, several million, billion people having to live in extreme poverty, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But don't leave the Hall of Heads. Don't leave the Hall of Heads. Next, we've got uh, Which Describes How You're Feeling. Which describes how you're feeling all the time. Which describes how you're feeling all the feeling all the time. There's this guy in the sky, and he makes you want to, want to make you sigh like the time when you This one always strikes me as really weird, the way it's structured. It's the second sentence. Like, it's, which describes how you're feeling all the time feels like the second sentence in something. Oh, yeah, totally. I see that. It almost feels like it's, start, it's starting halfway through. And the, the way the instruments are laid out kind of feel the same way. It's almost like it's being, like, you're interrupting into the song. It's very disorienting. Have you listened to, like, the demo version of this song that I think is on then? Not recently. I don't like it as much as the finished product. It has some really distracting drum parts. It is, yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the older tracks on the album. Like, not the oldest, but one of the oldest. Mm-hmm. Another one that they don't play live very often. Another really short one. When I went back and, uh, something I, I made careful note of is when I went back to then to find the demo, I, fa- I also found a... They Might Be Giant song that I never had heard before, which I really enjoyed, called uh, Become a Robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main lyric of which was, here's hoping you don't become a robot. Clang, 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 too late. <laughs> 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 which, like, I feel that, you know? That feels like a pretty good, accurate description of the human condition. Another interpretation that's listed on this one is, uh, it picks up where Hall of Heads left off. Hall of Heads describes a state of desperation, insanity, frustration. And then this is the perspective afterwards. The Hall of Heads describes how you're feeling all the time. Okay, so that pretty that fits your kind of uh, second sentence interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that kind of works. That works very well. And I can I think this song pairs very well with Hall of Heads. Yeah, they they work well together. Like I wouldn't they, I wouldn't want to separate them for sure, which is a shame that this album was designed to listen to on shuffle. Yeah. Next we've got one of my favorite songs on the album and I think kind of an underrated one, See the Constellation. This one rocks. Uh, it's a good one. It's it's it is it is rated 96 out of 907, which is one of the higher tracks on the album. Oh, okay, nice top 100. I'm glad. Yeah, it's not it's not one they play live a lot. I really like the sample they use on this one. Yeah, that's a sample of uh, D.D. Ramon counting off. Yeah, one, two, three, and then four, 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 four. four. That's really cool. Oh, it's really good, and like mm-hmm. you just groove along to that as it goes along. Another uh, big fan of this song, it would seem, is a friend of the program, Weird Al Yankovic, who we've talked about before. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about how influenced he was by like um, They Might Be Giants when he wrote one of his uh, songs, Everything You Know Is Wrong. 
but uh, you could also see that influence coming through in one of his songs, I Remember Larry, which I definitely really enjoyed as a kid. Had not listened to it before researching for the show in a long time. Yeah. And when I went back to it, I cannot believe how much this song, that, that song sounds like See the Constellation. Yeah, it's like the same song. You can like sing See the Constellation over it perfectly. It's wild. It even has like an extended breakdown where a sitar comes in at the end. <laughs> Which is like one of my favorite parts of this song. I don't think I've like ever heard They Might Be Giants do something like that before. The lyrics are so bleak considering how the music's written. The lyrics are cool though. I love that just a guy made of dots and lines refrain. Yeah, no, it's really good. I'm, I'm just thinking of like the opening lines. I lay my head on the railroad track, stare at the sky, all painted up. Your train is gone, won't be coming back. That is pretty dark. Yeah, <laughs> laying the head on the railroad track. This this album, if as much as it is obsessed with death, is also just obsessed with heads. Mm-hmm. That's true. Another theme. They Might Be Giants does like heads. This is another uh, song where Flansburg sings lead. Oh, yeah. No, it, he kills with this one. He really rocks out on the guitar as well. I wonder if that's him doing like a sitar kind of thing live in studio or if that's other. It's that or if that's more MIDI or if that's a sample. I don't know. Yet another track on this album that is barely ever played live. That's a shame. That's a real shame. Right? This one would go off live. Like, it's yeah, pretty much just broken out for Apollo 18 shows, with a few exceptions. One of my other favorite parts of this is the way they sing that last lyric, Can You Hear What I See in the Sky? Yeah. It sounds like they're kind of pinching their noses to do like a super nasally thing. And like, it almost feels like that's the scratch take of that lyric. Like oh, let's make our voices sound weird so that we know later we want to like throw some like distortion effect or something over it in post-production. But it sounds like they just decided to stick with the take where they sang like they were pinching their noses. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently Flansburg has said that the lyrics on this one are meant to be like just a personal reflection. So, you know, the post-breakup song, I guess. What are we all but just guys made of dots and lines? With no lady on their arm. Yeah. Next we've got If I Wasn't Shy. This one's okay. If I wasn't shy, if I wasn't shy. This one's about getting over your social anxiety and starting a <laughs> communist revolution. I guess that is true. Yeah, I'd steal anything I lack. I'd burn all the ask me buttons. I'd burn all the intercoms. I'd burn all the time clock cards. This is a workers' revolution. Definitely feels like a Flansburg song. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. He he said in at a 1992 show that he wrote this song in an altered state. <laughs> he got home from work on 420, fucking hated it, smoked some weed. <laughs> and said, what if I burn down the store and also everything else? The communists have the music. The communists have the music. I, I like don't have a ton to say about if I wasn't shy, though. I do really like that lyric about stealing somebody's Cadillac, though. It's good. Yeah. I don't know if it would make my final cut, but it's it's all right. It's good. No, I really do like it. It's it's short enough that it doesn't overstay its welcome. This one, the next one, though, is kind of, it feels like one of the longer pieces on the album, at least. Turn around. I was working all night in my office when a man I had recently me up from a phone near my building so i looked out the window at him he had the same obsequious manner that was the reason i had him killed so to calm my nerves i sang this song to him over the phone turn around turn around there's a thing there that can be This one's like a real journey. It is two minutes and 53 seconds. I think that makes it, if not the longest, it's pretty close. I can't believe it's sub three minutes. It feels like five or something, but I guess that just is because all the other songs are so short. Yeah, um, Hall of Heads is the same length. Statue Got Me High and the guitar are longer. Fingertips, if you count it as one track, is longer. Right, yeah. And that's it. Otherwise, it's, uh, it's up there in length. This one's so interesting, though. There are a ton of bonkers lyrics like that first one i was working all night in my office when a man i had recently killed called me up from a phone near my building yeah. and then there's that other great one in verse two i was out by myself in the graveyard i was doing an interpretive dance i felt something heavy and pointed strike me in the back of my neck 
I always think he's gonna say pants. Just right in the ass. Yeah, something like that. Someone says they yeah, I believe this is a song is a nightmare caused by guilt, which tracks. Yeah. And this is another one where there's just like an army of John Linnells. <laughs> Millions of him. Like when he's doing the call and response choruses with himself at the end, that's one of my favorite parts of the album, probably. With a human skull on the ground. That's just that's that's like a it's like a memento of his guilt. He turns every time he turns around he sees another human skull. I like it. Very, very English majory. Oh for sure. I have a quote here from Linnell uh, from 1992 where he said, we have this song called Turn Around on the record, and this sounds sort of odd, but I just sang these melodies into my sampler and had each key triggering a different two or three note melody, and I just messed around with it. I need to play with samplers more if it's going to make cool shit like that. Samplers are cool, man. It really feels like he was in a much more experimental mindset when approaching the songs on this album than he was on the last couple. Yeah, for sure. Which, like... That does kind of result in less like this album was kind of knocked when it came out as not having like a real standout single. Yeah. And I think that's one result of that experimental mindset. But, you know, the other result is like really interesting jams like this one. Mm-hmm. So like I, I wouldn't call it my favorite thing. It might be giant stuff, but I'm super glad that we have it. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think of this next song? Hypnotist of Ladies. <laughs> fucking sucks ass trevor you don't like this one i really hate it i think it's okay i think it's solid it reminds me of the smiths you said i don't really like the smiths so that tracks yeah he's, he's doing that johnny marr thing and uh that one lyric uh my favorite lyric and it actually reminds me of a lot of morrissey because if you read too many of his interviews you won't remember why you like him either <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's one of like the four lyrics on this song, that's for sure. It's a very basic tune, but I don't know, I think it's a cool little jam. Never had a pocket watch, never counted backwards. The fucking interpretations on this one are so dark. Really? Everyone's just like, yeah, it's about roofies. Oh, yeah. Whereas like, it, it seems more like it's about, it seems more like it's like from the perspective of a guy who doesn't get women talking about a guy who does get women. I could I could see that. Both that in the lyrical content and also just the way that the Flans' vocals echo. I really don't like this one. Yeah. It's this and like, this is definitely one of the cuts I'd make if I were shortening this album up. We'll see if it makes it on a mind. But first we finally have to talk about the big part of this album, Fingertips. Fingertips. Fingertips, 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 fingertips. What's up? I have a bit of a bomb to drop here, I feel like. I'm not a big fan of the whole fingertips thing. Fuck off, it's great. I, I, it feels like a very definitive They Might Be Giants thing. Like, in a way, it's kind of like the culmination of everything they've been doing on their first four albums into one big like medley of like choruses. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It feels like it takes over the album and I don't like it enough to give it control of the entire album. I feel that. Uh, it's really good live. That's that's definitely worth noting. I did see the, um, they performed this at their Tiny Desk performance. Fuck, I, that's so good. I, I liked it a little better seeing them actually do it, but it was also like watching somebody tell a joke that only they think is funny. <laughs> there's something very like, um, there's something very Andy Kaufman about this whole concept, you know? I get that. It's just like, this is such a wildly stupid idea that only they could get away with it. I have a really, there are some really great quotes from Linnell about this whole project though on the wiki. Like there's one where he says, the project was to write a bunch of choruses and nothing else. In other words, I had to restrain myself from writing any other parts of the songs. I wanted a collection of choruses that's something like what you see on TV late at night, like that old KTEL commercials. I was thinking about how you know a lot of songs from these ads, but the only part you know is maybe one line, which is half the chorus. And yet they stick in your head in the way a whole song would. In a way, these tiny chips of songs seem complete because you don't know the rest of the song. And I think they really did nail the goal there. They fucking invented Adult Swim bumpers like... 25 years before they happened. I think that's super apt. Yeah, that's totally, that nails it. If, if Adult Swim's main ethos wasn't hip hop, then this is what would it would have been. 
these little bumpers between cartoons. I'm actually amazed that they never contacted the Johns and tried to use fingertips for some of those. I feel like some of them would work really well. I could see they might be giants contributing some like pretty cool like original music to Adult Swim too. I know they yeah. frequently commission like original stuff from artists. Like they do those summer singles series. Yeah, which now has extended to a single every week for a whole year. Great. I could see the Amoeba Giants really contributing something pretty cool to that. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, I love the the variety of the album versions of these just because they have a lot of different singers on them. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. I think that really that's the one thing that the album version has over the live versions. They even got Brian Dewan singing on one of them. Which one does he do? He does Who's Knocking on the Wall. Who's Knocking on the Wall. Got it. I'm looking I'm looking at a list right now and I don't I I don't think I can go through each one and say something interesting about every little snippet, but I did want to ask you like what are some of your personal favorites? Please pass the milk is featured on another Noise Space podcast. Uh the the second and only the most still most recent episode of Field Guide to Canadiana, which I did about bagged milk. So it's got a bunch of songs with milk. Great. There's a whole episode about bagged milk. Yeah, it is pretty poorly researched, but it's still pretty good. Come On and Wreck My Car is pretty good. That's one that I would love to hear flushed out. And all the titles are so, like, evocative, too. What's that blue thing doing here? What's that blue thing doing here? Mysterious Whisper's good. The Day That Love Came to Play also seems like it would be a good song overall. The Day That Love Came to Play. Also, I really like that little snippet of I'm Having a Heart Attack. I'm having a heart attack. I'm having a heart attack. I'm Like, I really want to know where that goes after that little, or where it would go after that breakdown. What could possibly be the rest of that song? Yeah. And then, of course, the the closer is I Walk Along Darkened Corridors, which, when they play it live, is extended out to, like, two and a half minutes with, like, increasingly pounding drums and, like, wildly overdone singing. It's very eerie. There's a real eeriness running through the entire medley. The eeriness is gone in the live performance. They make it triumphant, and it's so good. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'd enjoy seeing that. Yeah, um, it's also in the... There's something called the Fingertips Project. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with Animutation. A little bit. So the Neil Cicerica invented form of, like, flash animation video collage that kind of right. just throws shit at the wall. A bunch of uh, later Animutation people ended up collaborating on something called the Fingertips Project, where each part of fingertips was taken by a different animator and uh, they ended up using the live version of uh, I Walk Along Dark Darkened Corridors for the finale. Uh, it's something. <laughs> I'd be interested in checking that out. That sounds pretty cool. That sounds like that project I saw that came out recently where it was like um, a bunch of animators remade Shrek with like every six seconds being like a different team. Yeah, that's wild. That was wild. Uh, it's like a considerably less ambitious version of that. <laughs> yes, I imagine. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's really, um, it's very goofy and very silly. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take itself super seriously, but I really liked it. I wish I could get more on board with the whole fingertips thing, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. I feel like I'm not the, not quite the They Might Be Giants fan I could be, considering. It's one of the goofier things they've done for sure. But like I said, even if it's not personally for me, I really think they knocked it out of the park in terms of what they were going for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's absolutely a success. And apparently there was a project to flesh out each fingertip uh, part into a whole song done by a band called They Might Be Gannets, although I didn't go looking for that. I might after this recording. Um, apparently it's a, the, the link leads to a free download now, whereas it used to link to a store page. So it's de- I, I'm definitely considering checking it out now, whereas every time I've clicked that link before, it was like a $10 album. I'm like, fuck that. Definitely not. <laughs> not a chance. Definitely not. Nope, but hey, yeah, if, but it's, if it's free, free, might as well. Might as well. Uh, and then we got the closer. Let's wrap up our track list discussion with a uh, spacesuit.
this is one of the it's the first original They Might Be Giant song that they ever made. Yeah, I read that too, and that really kind of blew me away. It was one of the first ones they played at uh, their very first shows, and yeah, apparently the first original song they ever wrote. That was when they were still called El Grupo de Rock and Roll. <laughs> I forgot about that. Which is a fucking terrible name. I think this is a like, surprisingly very pretty little instrumental, though, and I don't mind it as a closer at all. I think it closes the album on a really interesting note. It kind of brings me back to the same vibe I got from those first few moments of Dig My Grave, where it's like some kind of ragtag little backyard NASA group having finally managed to launch something into space. I get that. Like when I listen to this song, I picture like a small satellite, like made of garbage, just kind of humbly orbiting the earth. Like <laughs> we made it. It's a good It's a good piece with, uh, with Dig My Grave, but I also feel like it works on its own as like, it's almost like a pseudo fingertips track, like Spider, that if it like landed somewhere in the middle of the album, it worked just as well there. Totally. If, if shuffle technology was strong enough that the album could always end with I Walk Along Darkened Corridors, then it would be perfect. Because mm-hmm. that's a good album closer. Spotify, I hope you're listening. We need that technology. If we can put a if we could put a killer whale and a giant squid into space, we should be able to control the shuffle of our music. Spotify, what's up? We need the technology to have shuffle, but with a consistent opening and closing track. And that's Apollo 18. I think we did it. That's Apollo 18. That is the John Duo created They Might Be Giants album. That is the classic era of They Might Be Giants. This was the first album released after I was born, also. Oh, nice. But yeah, we did. We did the four core albums. I'm very proud of us. Yeah, it only took us what, an entire year? I'm almost I almost didn't think we were gonna make it this far i thought maybe <laughs> i would like get through the first three which are the ones that i really really love and then decide to call it a day but here we are we're gonna keep going and i'm excited to get into the future we're gonna keep going do you want to hear my 10 track version of this one i think it's pretty cool like there are some really interesting little sequencing things that happened here some good transitions okay okay so uh we open with dig my grave mm-hmm. next is i palindrome i which goes straight into my evil twin perfect And that leads really well into The Statue Got Me High. Oh, wow. One of my favorite transitions on the album Mm -hmm. is the last line of The Statue Got Me High going to the first line of Narrow Your Eyes. Statue Got Me High ends with like um, just Linnell's voice. And then Narrow Your Eyes picks up with just Flansburg's voice. It's good. And that'd be a that'd be a good like side A side B transition if you ever pressed your shortened version to a record. Well, side B starts out with um, Hypnotist of Ladies, unfortunately. You motherfucker. Although, like, the plans for going, he's a hypnotist is a really good way to start out a side of a record, I think. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> then we got then we got turn around, see the constellation. Then I put the guitar all the way at track nine, because I think it's a pretty cool climax of the entire album. It's a very good penultimate track. It's very good episode nine of a season of Game of Thrones. Exactly. The line gets out of the spaceship. It's chaos. Yeah. And then we close with the spacesuit. That works. I, I, I can see that working. Pretty tight little experience. I'm not really looking forward to having to par down John Henry, though, because that one feels like uh, like like it's going to be a bit of a beast to get through. Oh, yeah. And it's uh, well, it was a very divisive album, which we will definitely get to as well. Yeah. Not everybody was on board with the shift to a full band, right? I read that like um, some people even boycotted the tour. Yeah, they're a bunch of fucking cowards. <laughs> we didn't mention that tour was called... Um, the Don't Tread on the Cut Up Snake World Tour 1992. Yeah, that was, that was the Apollo 18 tour. That'd be like a, a band today calling a tour the uh, Please No Steppy Tour. <laughs> the Please No Steppy Tour, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just thinking of the snake on the State of Swift artwork. Everyone listen to State of Swift. Everybody listen to State of Swift. Everybody listen to... Uh, let's do some official plugs. What do you got, Matt? What do you want people to listen to? Uh, the episode of... Uh, tuning fork that I recorded this same day, which I'm sure will be up around the same time as the this episode, possibly earlier. Who knows? Everybody should also listen to the episode of Tuning Fork that I'm on. Yeah, uh, the boy with the Arab strap. That's a little that exists within the Giants confirmed extended universe. Yeah, well, the Giants confirmed extended universe is NoiseSpace.xyz, which is the podcasting website that I run and now have like 20 shows on. It's bonkers. Go listen to all those. Follow Matt on Twitter at MattGCN. Yeah, follow Trevor. Trevor, which Twitter is your proper Twitter? You have two of them and I never remember. My real Twitter is uh, Trevor Ickrath without the vowels in it. T-R-V-R-K-R-T-H. Right. My other Twitter is like my demon Twitter. (laughs) The Twitter where you say evil shit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Go follow me on there. Listen to my shows, uh, Hallelujah Monkeys, if you like gorillas. State of Swift, if you like Taylor Swift. 
Let's wrap things up, though. That was another episode of Giants Confirmed. Uh, next up, we're going to be talking about John Henry with a guest. I can't wait for that. Yeah, absolutely. I have I have some guests in mind for a lot of the upcoming ones. Uh, I really want to get the dude from Car Seat Headrest on with us to talk about uh, Mink Car, because I know he's a big fan of that album. Oh, hell yeah. So, Will Toledo, if you're listening, come be on the show. <laughs> also worth discussing is there are actually, like, multiple They Might Be Giants podcasts that popped up, like, basically somewhere between episode two and episode three of this. I think there's been some predating us, too. Do we want to just, I don't know, give them a vague shout out? I want to give a shout out to This Might Be a Podcast by uh, Greg Simpson of Punk News. Okay. Uh, just because he is bonkers prolific. <laughs> Like, he started the podcast in, like, November and has, like, 21 episodes, and each of them are discussing, like, single songs. Jeez. And and he's gotten people like Mike Park of Asian Guy Records on. Matt, you've interviewed the Johns yourselves. Why aren't you bringing that kind of star power onto the show? Because I'm I, I'm not one of the co-runners of punknews.net, mm. which is, like, a pretty, a pretty long-standing institution. That might help, yeah. Yeah. I mean... Once we start pulling guests, I, I'm sure I could get some good people on. Greg has expressed interest in being on an episode, so I definitely have to check out more of his podcast to get an idea of which one would be the one to get him on for. Yeah, let's get him in here. I, into the studio that is this Skype call. The Noise Space Discord. Yeah, exactly. But hey, I think that's all the time we have left for today. So uh, for now, I'll just say that I've been Trevor Ickrath. I've been Matt Ribeiro. Just two guys made of dots and lines. Here's something you don't you do become a right Whoops, too late. Something you don't open you don't become a right clang 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 whoops too late. Let's stick together, cause we're Yeah.